Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For our 13th highlight episode, we conclude our series of 2012 competition winner interviews featuring MFA candidate and winner Cora Lip. Now, we talked at great length about her work, which includes a number of mixed-media approaches, including painting, installation, um, sound, all sorts of great stuff. So we talk at great length about her work, which kind of deals with the deconstruction or reconstruction of homes, again, that plays uh, an important role in some of her upbringing. And again, we discussed it at great length in the interview, so please go ahead and check that out. Once again, if this is the first of the MFA and BFA competition winning interviews that you've heard, please check out the other ones at Studio Break. Again, there are seven, so please go and investigate those. Once again, you can just simply add more posts at the bottom of the page, or if you look over to the left, you'll see an archive feature, which allows you to backtrack through all of the other podcasts that we have. We have over 50 now. Um, some short ones like these highlight episodes and some full-length ones with one artist. And they're sometimes up in over an hour. So please go ahead and check that out. Once again, each of the posts feature slideshows of the artist's work along with links to the artist's website, to the iTunes subscription page where you can become a subscriber of Studio Break. Just follow that link and subscribe to get updates of Studio Break podcasts whenever they are available. Once again, we'd love it if you'd left us some feedback. If you like the podcast, it's a great way to support it. You can also go and find us on Facebook. The Studio Break page provides a number of previews of upcoming guests and updates from past guests, including show announcements and things like that. So please like us there. You can also follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. And once again, please share these interviews and posts. It's a great way to promote some of these artists that you might not know about otherwise. All right, here is the interview. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Studio Break Podcast. Happy to be joined by Cora Lim this morning. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you on, and it's just nice to be able to, to share all this work with everyone, but I, I was especially drawn to your work, I think partially just because of the transitory nature of it, you know, the kind of constructed or deconstructed uh, home, and, you know, that's something I, I think that's in the minds, I think I guess, of people Relevant just, just today. Right yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to talk about that, obviously, but i like to start out at the beginning, so if you could kind of give us a, a little bit of a background about you know, where you grew up and, and what some of your interests were as you were growing up. Um, and of course, obviously, if that carries over to anything relevant now. So could you just give us a little bit of a background? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up in Southern California in Pasadena. And um, I was kind of, well, I was born into this family of architects. So my grandparents were architects, my dad's an architect, all my aunts and uncles are architects. So I've always been surrounded by like, these blueprints and drawings and my dad was always like really intent on building our house and remodeling our house and making it our own so I kind of grew up in this house that was under perpetual like reconstruction or deconstruction however you want to look at it um he would add on like rooms and houses and like like our second story had a window a bay window and eventually the bay window disappeared and became more that led into like 
another room that he created that used to be where the roof was. So when I was little, I would like climb around all of these like lattice works and like um, construction things, and I was just constantly surrounded by all this industrial stuff. And so that later on played into my stuff. And also, like, my dad collected a lot of comic books when he was little. And so me and my brother, I have a younger brother, and we would always, like, look through the comic books and play outside. And, like, all these things kind of, I guess, played into how how I viewed the world and how I um, came to understand and perceive the world around me, which kind of led into my artistic practice later on. Sure. Well, and, and the thing that's interesting to me is that it always seems to be like a, like an onion, you know, like you keep peeling back these, these layers to see these connections that you maybe didn't even see. Um, right. Yeah. And I'm so totally the, like psychoanalyzing myself or something. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, well, and so was, was, you know, was drawing and anything else like that, um, something that was important early on? Did you... Yeah. you know, participate in the art club at, at, you know, your, your high school and things like that, or? Actually, no. Funnily enough, <laughs> I was totally shunned from, from that. I loved, I loved to draw. I was um, constantly drawing, and I was kind of like the loner kid that no one would talk to, so I would just sit by myself and draw, and draw, and draw. And then um, my mom and dad both worked, so um, I didn't have anywhere to go after school, so I would walk to the left, just read constantly, um, day and night, and then would sit there and draw people that I saw and, like, kind of listen to their conversations and make up stories about them. And that was basically, like, and go to coffee shops and do the same thing, and that was middle school and high school was basically my life. Um, so I was totally a loner kid, but I did, um, I was an illustrator for my high school newspaper, which was kind of a big deal because I guess they were like an award-winning newspaper and they were kind of picky about who they chose, so it was pretty competitive. Um, and I had my own comic strip that I wrote for them that was kind of like a commentary on the um, social scene at school and stuff like that and, and then kind of like devolved into politics or whatever you want to. Sure. Well, and it's interesting just because I think even just in, in some of the kind of classes that you might take at that time, you know, you don't really get an understanding, I guess, of, of uh, how that relate to some kind of actual job. And so in that sense, yeah, it's very, it's very pragmatic. I never did it. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing. It was like, how are you ever going to make money in the arts? You aren't. And so I actually was a bio major and an arts and a visual arts major in college just because I was like, there's no way I could actually do a career in art. Like, I'm going to become a dentist. <laughs> and so when you started, you you weren't pursuing art? I wanted to. Okay. But, I mean, just, like, practically, no one I knew was in the fine art field. And so I was like, there's no way you can, like, support yourself. So I figured I was going to, like, go into a practical job and then support myself through that. And so was there um, this one class that magically turned it around or was it something where where you just slowly you know crept it crept back in there it was like an all or nothing thing actually i i started out a bio major and a um an art minor went to point loma nazarene university realized they didn't have a minor for art so i'd have to major in it if i wanted to continue it um the first semester that I was at Point Loma, I took all biology classes, and I 
seriously was like really depressed. I don't know what it was, but just not um, creating and drawing from my right brain, like not doing the art stuff. Like I need that kind of as far as therapy goes or something, as well as just like sorting out my thoughts. And um, I'm a very heady person, like very analytical. And so I need a way to express it and an outlet for it. And so when I didn't have that, when I wasn't doing my art, then it was um, really taxing on me psychologically and emotionally. And then like that manifested itself physically. And so I realized that I really did need art. Like I was kind of dependent on it, like a drug. And so um, that was when I realized that I would have to pursue it seriously. And so, um, around and it, before it was like, um, biology and art. And then after that point, after that year, I realized I was art and then biology. Right. Was it like a BFA program where you took a lot of different kinds of classes then, or were you still pursuing mostly drawing and, and things that were of that realm? It was a BA program. Okay. It wasn't a BFA. I went to a liberal arts college. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we were taking from a bunch of different GEs, so, I mean, like, philosophy and theology and all that stuff kind of came into play with my artwork and music, which has always been really important. But as far as, like, the literal art classes that I took, um, I was a painting drawing printmaking major, mm -hmm. so most of my classes were that. I took one 3D class, and that was an intro to um, 3D, and didn't take any sculpture, but my paintings started to become really sculptural, and by the time I graduated... I was kind of making sculpture and installations on my own, but just with no formal training. Well, and, and so I believe you were talking before about how you also decided then to go straight through from from undergraduate to graduate school. And so yeah. what, what was that process like? Because I know, <laughs> I know for myself, and I'm, I'm guessing for a lot of people, it's, uh, first of all, kind of a nightmare to figure out where to go. And then also, after you get in, you know, certainly challenging. So like, what am I doing here? Sure. <laughs> I'm like the most idiotic person in the program. I know nothing and everyone else knows so much more. <laughs> but it was because I was early on a trajectory. I'd start like I was moving in a certain direction. I'd started to do more environmental um, pieces. Uh, my pieces have always been really tactile and experiential, but um, I was getting more into um, like, it was becoming more and more three-dimensional, more and more about um, the environment and bringing people into these rooms and environments and letting them experience it. And it being about the experience instead of it being just me in communication with this piece. So um, I felt like I really needed to continue within the academic field to, um, to better understand where I was going with it. Because at that point, like, my... My whole knowledge of art revolved around, like, painters and stuff. And so I knew no um, sculptural artists, and I was just so new to that whole realm and train of thought that if I just went out and did this on my own, I felt like I would get lost really quickly. Sure. And, and so, well, I think the other thing, too, is you, you, you moved across country as well. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, and that had to do with, like, the whole East-West Coast thing. I... I knew, I knew that East and West Coast art is fairly different, and the way we approach things is fairly different. And I've always been interested in like the light and space movement and um, very like West Coast style work. 
And um, so I kind of wanted to experience the East Coast style and see how I fit in with the art world in general. And, like, if um, I really did agree with where I was going in terms of my art or if I was just, if my art was just, like, this West Coast aesthetic because that's where I happened to be. And so I specifically applied only to East Coast programs. What kind of work were you making when you started graduate school? And were, were you getting lent a lot of encouragement to explore <laughs> that 3D element of it? I guess more of, of where you had a you know, background in painting and drawing and printmaking? Well, you know, grad school's funny. They, they tend to push you and I think they say things just to, like, get you riled sometimes. And I, I mean, they say stuff to challenge you and to, um, I think the, the main thing that I learned from grad school is that you really can't listen to what they say. Like what the best thing that the most valuable thing I took away from it was that they question you so much and turn you around and make everything so topsy turvy that you actually have to truly believe in what you're doing to succeed. And so, um, and so I don't know. So they did, they did question, there were some questions of why don't you go back to painting or why are you doing what you're doing and all this stuff. And, um, it was just me being stubborn and saying, no, I need to do this because this is not something that I'm comfortable with. And so, um, this is what I'm going to pursue in grad school as opposed to something that I'm a little more comfortable with and a little more, um, I don't know, that I wouldn't be moving forward as much if I was just doing my painting. Sure. Well, and, and could you talk a little bit about the transition? What types of pieces you were making that were that yeah, moved you yeah. from being kind of those three-dimensional 2D things into, like, the installations? I started out with abstract paintings that I've always loved, you know, the industrial materials. So all my abstract paintings were... They're made out of, like, wood. There was canvas. There was a lot of burning through the canvas, a lot of plexiglass involved, and a lot of light. And so, and my paintings were, like, off the wall, or they would be in corners, um, hanging in corners, or they would be utilizing the space. Like, there would be a shadow of the painting painted on the wall with the painting, like, resting on the floor next to it. So they were very sculptural. Um, and using not just paint, of course, but, like, all kinds of things. Um, and from there, they kind of transitioned into these boxes, these very clean white MDF boxes that I made, um, with plexiglass that were lit from inside and kind of painting with light kind of thing, like a la Robert Irwin. Um, and then from there, they just kept, the paintings kept getting further and further away from the wall. And, um more and more into the viewer's space and physical space until um, I was making paintings out of drywall and stuff that were essentially like rooms. But I thought of them as paintings, like just paintings that were in your face or three-dimensional. But you would walk into them. And so there were these... Um, and so it just kept growing from there. And because I was using these um, industrial materials as the structures, like drywall and stud beams and um and just like you know spackle and things like that then they became more and more room-like and more and more um i guess more and more about that do-it-yourself aesthetic until pretty soon i was like deconstructing rooms instead of just like paintings like they were becoming full-on rooms that you walk into and then i think that's what 
what you saw my most recent stuff was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so... Light and everything like that. Light and shadow and depth and um, illusion and two-dimensional versus three-dimensional and concrete space and stuff like that. So when, when you start one of these pieces out then, is there... Um, is it something that's pre pre envisioned, you know, that it's like designed out and all of those other things? And then I guess, you know, considering what you were talking about earlier about your upbringing being around a house that was being built, is there a, a particular angle that you want people to see when when they see this work? I think it's more about the experience than anything. But um, so people bring their own experiences to it. Um, there definitely is an initial plan and a layout that um, I draw and sketch a lot um, to come up with certain ideas or certain um, thoughts and concepts that I'm interested in. And then um, I start to build from there. And as I'm building um, the physical, actual pieces, then um, it becomes very much about the process. And um, usually it looks like the drawings, but it's it steers away from the drawings. And so... Um, I become very aware of what the materials are doing, how they're reacting to each other, um, and how they're speaking to each other within the space that you can't see when you're drawing on a two-dimensional piece of paper. And then, um, and then that becomes a dialogue that I become immersed in. So um, I'm never quite sure of how the outcome is going to be, but I know how it's going to initiate. And, like, my last piece that I did, that reselect piece, was kind of a conglomeration of a bunch of pieces that have been deconstructed and were reassembled together um, in a space that, like, the assembly of it, the overall assembly, was preconceived. But then um, the painting and all of, and the concrete forms and the layers and the different um, points of view that you see as you're walking around the piece that all came um, very fluidly through actually being in the space and working within the space and the process of making these things. Sure. Well, and it sounds like then that that's, a, that's an important aspect of it is, is being in the space and being re- reactive to the space. Yeah, and living in it, basically. And so, um, is, so is that back kind of, I don't know, because I think, I think we've talked a little bit about just generally, um, well, you said earlier being very heady or... Um, you know, and in some ways, just, just from having talked to you a little bit here, um, you know, it seems like observation of, of your surroundings is something that's very important. And is, is so yeah. perception, so there's not really like a particular, um, you know, like you're not trying to evoke a, a particular kind of, uh, atmosphere that people are used to other than they might just kind of associate with it because it's something that's familiar to them. And initially I was, initially it was an atmosphere of, um, disorientation, kind of like a David Lynch kind of Lynchian, you know, feel of something that's um, very intimate and very familiar, but at the same time is disorienting and you know something's not right kind of thing and puts you at like kind of a disease just because when you're like shocked out of what's familiar and what's comfortable for you, then you have to see things kind of um, in a new context and for the first time which is what I'm interested in. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned David Lynch, and I didn't necessarily draw this connection um, visually, but I noticed that you also list radio static as a, as a material. 
and, yeah, and uh, Chris Isaac at one point in one of my earlier pieces played. <laughs> well, but, but there's but there's that little you know, especially um, you know, I, I think maybe just because I was listening to someone have a, a David Lynch conversation recently, um, but it reminded me of um, the way that there's certain sounds in some of those some of his movies that that made me think about. I don't know that that just kind of very easily set it up, and I, I'm thinking of like a there's a close up in the movie Lost Highway of fire, and you just oh. like hear this sound of like fire burning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just kind of reminds me of something that might be similar then in terms of you know hearing radio static or something yeah. that's just kind of barely audible. So is that yeah, something then that you also wind up using? You know, you've talked a little bit about using light and certainly these different materials, but it seems like that the sound is something that would help. Um, yeah, totally set up that space as well well it's about a full immersion of all the senses so like olfactory and touch um like what else is there sight and um hearing like there are also scents involved in some of them some of them i use like coffee and stuff like that so it was trying to like immerse all the senses but um bringing certain senses to the forefront and pushing certain um, senses back Sure. You know, you talked a little bit about them being all kind of combined. What kind of reaction were you getting then in terms of people coming to the show in terms of things that they noticed or maybe things that, especially after they spent time in the space, Uh, the way they saw it differently? Yeah. The reactions were, they were what I hoped for. I've never really shown, aside from my undergrad, I haven't really shown um, in a solo space. And so that is a problem in that my stuff is kind of quiet. So it needs, like, if there's other stuff that's kind of loud around it, it tends to be overwhelmed. And um, and also, like you're saying, it, it relies heavily on time. And people tend to just walk in and out of things um, when there's a lot of other pieces around. But, I mean, the reaction has been, when I have, when I've shown it, like, in its own room to other artists, not necessarily in a showing, people have reacted to it in a way that I was hoping, where it is this, it evokes a a real sense of, um, it evokes something inside them, like a real sense of emotion and disorientation. And, um, and disease, which is like, you know, what I'm going for. So sure. Well, and a good reaction. <laughs> and I was, I was just going to ask you too, you know, you've talked a little bit about some of the materials that you've used. Um, but I'm curious then, do you, do you kind of incorporate both projected light and, um, kind of painted shadows in, in, in these as well? I do. Yeah. Um, there is, there's both. And also, um, I paint shadows and then move things and then repaint shadows and then paint fake shadows or things that appear to be shadows but aren't and are actually paint. Um, the light, I have done projections of, um, well, various pieces use different things. Sometimes there's projections, sometimes there aren't. Sometimes there's live feeds of um, projections and so people will see like for instance they'll see themselves or something um, projected into certain rooms but like at kind of a weird angle so that um, 
when they first see it, they're not sure what they're looking at, and then they realize they're looking at themselves. Kind of like Bruce Nauman, I guess. I don't like to, like, compare myself to these things, but, I mean, this is what I've gotten. I've gotten, like, oh, this is, like, Bruce Nauman. Um, But I like to think that it's not. I like to think it's, like, me. (laughs) Well, and and I I think, you know, I just... I think especially brought up the idea of the, the colored shadows just because, um, you know, I think it also talks a little bit about the, that aspect of time within the work too. And I, I think we've already talked about the idea of spending time in the space, but then also to kind of, you know, to walk into something with an expectation that you, you know what it is, but then to realize that it's also something that's changed, you know? Yeah. And I think that relates certainly really well to the, the nature of the materials and how they change in the space as well, aside from the ones that, you know, and, and I guess I'm making a distinguish because if you see, you know, like a, a a piece of drywall that's been kind of ripped apart, you know, that's very identifiable. But when you see this this um, this shadow or like a silhouette of, you know, maybe a two by four or something or something that's moved, um, I think it might kind of elicit that different kind of reaction to kind of have someone consider what, you know, what that what that's about, what 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 the story is, I guess. Yeah, and I also bring in um, landscape. I'm very interested in the domestic and the natural world and how um, we separate them and how they're actually very intertwined and inseparable. And so a lot of um, the drywall and stuff, it seems to be haphazardly ripped up or whatever. And then, um, But if you look closely, it's actually um, kind of reminiscent of landscapes or like topographical forms, and they're repeated throughout the piece. And so um, what might look like haphazard ripping Later on, you see the same haphazard ripping, so you realize that it actually has been ripped um, in a certain way for a reason, because they'll line up, and you'll see the repetition when you stand at certain angles. Where are your plans uh, at now in terms of uh, continuing to, to pursue uh, your studio practice? What's what's in the works, I guess? It's a good question, and I'm not quite sure. I, um, I've been having some... <laughs> life-changing thoughts recently after graduation. I don't know. Um, I'm continuing to apply for grants and things like that and um, continuing to make make things. But lately I've also been um, questioning my art practice in terms of how this relates to my interactions with the viewer. Um, I've been having issues lately because you know how these pieces that I create, they're there are these experiences that I want to share with these other people and that I want people to come in and experience with me. And lately I've been feeling this block of, like, where the piece is kind of like the middleman. And I I don't want to have a middleman. I want to be, like, interacting directly with people. And so um, a way that I did that before was um, teaching. We got to teach for our second, our entire second year in the MFA program, and um, so I taught sculpture, and it was like it's such a edifying experience to be with like these people and to interact with them and to talk with them, um, and to share with them and like learn things back, and so the whole pedagogy thing is really really important to me, and I think that I do want to pursue that seriously. I don't know if I have enough experience to feel comfortable doing that right now, like as a permanent thing, but um, I'm trying to figure out ways of bringing that pedagogical experience into my artwork and what I create and do, 
which is not to say that I'm like totally going off into some, I don't know, social practice realm, but I have been thinking a lot more along those lines. It's, it seems like you've got plenty of other things to figure. Well, everybody does after, <laughs> after, after finishing an MFA. Um, but you know, certainly I'm, I'm interested in seeing how, uh, how you come up with some new things and what that challenge kind of winds up doing to the work. And especially something that we haven't talked about too is, is location. You know, I, I know that we talked a little bit about that briefly before, before we started chatting officially, I guess, but, um, that's also something that's interesting too, is the way that, that those, uh, those changes in life wind up creating changes in your work. I don't know. We'll see about location too. I'm here for another year in North Carolina and then I'm just applying everywhere, so who knows where I'll be next. I I don't know. I've I've been debating um, moving to different places like, you know, New Mexico and back out west where it's just wide open space and the light is pretty amazing and bringing that aspect more strongly back into my work. But at the same time, like we were talking about earlier, I do think that wherever I go, I don't want to be um, traveling too much. I want to... Um, be in one place for an extended period of time just so that I could start to really experience it and bring that um, depth to my work, that um, experience of change instead of difference, which is, you know, what we are talking about before. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks again. Thanks again to Cora for joining us. And once again, you can find a link to her website on this very blog entry, CoraJLim.com. Once again, this is the conclusion of our series of 2012 competition-winning interviews, so please check out the other six. We've got a lot of great artists, so check it out there on Studio Break. Again, if you notice on the bottom of the page, you can add more posts, so you can easily pursue it that way. Or otherwise, you can go and look to the left on the sidebar. There is an archive function, and you can go month by month to check out all the other blog entries and podcasts that you've missed. Again, we've got over 50 uh, shorter highlight episodes and full-length interviews, so please check all of those out and look through the slideshows, visit the artist's website, and especially subscribe to us in iTunes if you happen to like this or any of the other podcasts that we do. Again, we'd love it if you left us some feedback there so it helps uh, others find it. Once again, you can follow us on Studio Break through our Facebook page, Studio Break. Again, we provide a number of updates and previews for upcoming guests, updates from past guests, and all sorts of good stuff. So like us, Studio Break, on Facebook. Lastly, you can follow us on Twitter, at Studio Break. So please reach out to us and say hi. We really appreciate it. And special thanks to Don Rowe for dropping us a line. Nice to meet a new friend of Studio Break. So please write us on Facebook, tweet us, Whatever you have to do, folks, reach out. Lastly, if you've never seen my work, you can check it out at davidlinway.com. I do a number of paintings that deal with architecture and landscape. Again, tons of work there. Please peruse it. If you're interested in anything, please drop me an email at davidlinway.com or through the Facebook page. Again, reach out, folks. If you happen to be looking for new tunes, I highly recommend you check out freemusicarchive.org where they've got thousands of uh, different songs you can download, full albums, like the music that we've been listening to, Cohen Park, our intro song, Yellows and Browns, and our exit song is The Nowhere Community. 
Once again, you can download all those songs at freemusicarchive.org. It's pretty fun, so please go ahead and check that out. All right, this is our second-to-last interview of the year, our second-to-last podcast anyways. Please stay tuned. We have a doozy coming up with David Kimball Anderson New Year's Eve, so please stay tuned for that. We'll talk to you real soon.